Yes, we are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It's called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. John Wall doesn't need no introduction. It's an insider's look at the NBA and culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick of the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall, will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The following is a high-five moment from HighFiveCasino.com. I won! Yahoo! Private, put down your phone. This is the army. Sarge, High Five Casino is a social casino. It's on your phone. goes wherever you go. I win free spins, cash, prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. I won again. Platoon, present cell phone. High Five. High Five. Casino. Casino. Win at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High Five Casino. Have no fear, the I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast is here. My name is Michael Rappaport, a.k.a. the Bill Lambeer of podcasting, a.k.a. the Jake LaMotta of podcasting, a.k.a. the Gringo Man Dingo. I am here with the three-time co-host of the year, G. Moody, whose last name rhymes with duty. Yep. G. Monetti, always ready. We have a special guest rocking with us. On today's podcast, Heaven is a Basketball Podcast, and we have a guy who loves to talk basketball, loves it, loves it. I love this dude. Former assistant coach of the Miami Heat during the entire LeBron James Miami Heatles era, former head coach of the Memphis Grizzlies basketball head my man, David Fisdale, is rocking with us. Hard body karate. Love me long time podcast. We're rocking for like an hour and 15 minutes. All basketball. So many Miami Heat stories. So many D-Wade stories. Just heaven is a basketball podcast. Coming up later on with the great, the passionate David Fisdale. He's not going to rook me. He ain't going to rook me. You, you remember his rant, Monetti? Uh-huh. Last year when he was with the Grizzlies, uh, when uh, they lost to the San Antonio Spurs, he sort of took on national attention with that rant because he, he, he went off about Popovich and not having pedigree and how the refs aren't going to rook him. Um, this is a dope, dope interview with David Fisdale. Okay. So uh, it's coming up later on. Did he tell you about 
how did he prove to you that LeBron is the best ever? Excuse me? Did he prove to you through the stories that LeBron is indeed the best player? Um, I'll be honest. There's so many damn good LeBron James stories coming up with David Fisdale that it definitely softened me. Oh, okay. It, it softened me. He, he, he breaks it down. Yo, he was with him through the, through the trade. You know, when he, uh, the decision, he was already with the Miami Heat. He was there uh, before he was with the Heat. Uh-huh. And when he left after the Spurs dismantled the Miami Heat. So oh. he, he's got all that information. And yes, there's great LeBron James stories. I, I don't know why you're trying to throw that. We, we just started the show, G. All right. We, all we just started the show. <laughs> anyway, Miles, Jordan, let me get something funky to start this puppy off. All right, uh, Monetti. What's good? What's good? Listen, as I said earlier, this David Fisdale interview is fantastic. Um, I think that we're gonna uh, we're gonna do some sick fucks of the week because I, I I got some 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 really really uh, upsetting sick fucks. Some crazy things are happening uh, with the sick fucks across the country. Some very dog unfriendly skies incidents happened very something very disturbing um the nfl yo you know what's crazy what's up you know with today you know with twitter and instagram and social media and phones and all that stuff you're able to keep up with the nfl free agents uh you know and the trades and all that stuff but i can't imagine like 20 years ago like the nfl season would start and like your quarterback wouldn't be on the team like if i didn't have like access to phones and you know, social media, I wouldn't know what the fuck is going on. Yeah. There, there were so many trades and pickups just in the last 48 hours with the NFL. I, it, it's hard to keep track. Danny Amendola is gone. He's no longer a Patriot. He's yeah, out. He bounced. He's done. Them hoes ain't loyal. The Patriots don't give a shit. The Patriots don't care that Amendola stepped up last year when friend of the I Am Rappaport Stereo podcast, Julian Edelman, was down and out, and Amendola came in there, kicked ass all season long. They didn't, he's gone, um, which I think is a good thing because our guy, Julian Edelman, who's recovering from a terrible injury, um, I think maybe they know that he's going to come back and, and, and be the guy. The Green Bay Packers, you never would have thought you lived to see a day that Jordy Nelson, mm-hmm. gone. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Yeah. Ain't no love. He, it's, it's a business. Goodbye. <laughs> it, it's a business. Yeah. Uh, Malcolm Butler, you know, the disgruntled cornerback uh, from the uh, Patriots. We knew this was, was going. Right. Gone. Good for him. He's with the Tennessee Titans. Jonathan Stewart, former Carolina Panther. Bye-bye. He's with the Giants. Yeah. I, I don't know why the Giants didn't pick up D'Angelo Williams. Uh, our friend here, former Pittsburgh Steelers, still available, still in shape. I don't know why he's not playing in the NFL. Um, Jimmy Graham, former all-everything tight end from the New Orleans Saints and then Seattle. Now he's with the Packers. Mm-hmm. Hey, they're shuffling. That's, this is that time of year, man. But it's crazy. Like, the Jets picked up Josh the Helicopter McCowan, who kicked ass last year. Yeah. I will say this. In the beginning of the season, I thought that was a joke. But the helicopter, Josh the Helicopter McCowan... Uh, they re-signed him, and he deserved it. He obviously went down with that injury at the end of the season. Very emotional. 
Uh, and I'm glad if, if they can't. And they got Teddy Bridgewater's coming to the Jets. Kurt Cousins, you like that? You like that? You like that? He signed with the Vikings. Oh, good. He got the only guaranteed contract in uh, NFL history. Good for my man Kirk. He's going to get all that money. So that's good. Yeah, and it's good. It'll set the precedent for other quarterbacks. Sam Bradford, Sammy B is on the cut. Uh, he signed with the Cardinals. It's just, there's so much, uh, so much happened. It, it's just like, I'm like, whoa. Like, you saw Drew Brees, of course, re-signed with the Saints. I think they gave him 50 mil, which he deserves, of he course. Deserve, he deserves more. Yeah, then we got training camp, then we got preseason, and then you next thing you know, uh, senior fantasy football analyst, executive senior fantasy football analyst, Michael Rappaport is back doing his thing. It's it's March, but it's going to happen like that. Before you know it, uh, you know there's going to be a new season of uh, Hard Knocks on HBO, and then we'll be playing fantasy football. So pay attention because some of your favorite players might not be on your team uh, the next time you you look up uh, football fans. Um, I want to give a shout out to all the students, including my two kids. My two young sons who participated in the the walkout, the nationwide school walkout of all these kids uh, across the country. We're not going to school. We don't want to be victims of senseless shootings in our schools. Us, the adults, us, the politicians, the grownups, we haven't been able to figure it out. So the kids now are not being able to enjoy being teenagers. They're out in the streets protesting. They're out in the streets educating themselves. I'm sure a lot of these kids uh, are enjoying just a day off, but the bulk of what you're seeing across the country are kids doing things that they shouldn't have to do because us as adults haven't been able to figure out how to make particularly these public schools safe for kids so they don't get shot and mowed the fuck down with assault rifles. I never would have thought you'd see 15, 16, 17-year-old kids having to articulate themselves out of fear of being mowed down by guns in school. It's really sad to me. It's it's really sad. Like, I'm proud of these kids, but it's sad to me. They should be, uh, you know, uh, texting. They should be running around. They should be sneaking in the back alley, uh, you know, giving each other hickeys on their necks. They should be playing basketball. They should be doing, you know, all sorts of things that teenage kids uh, do. They shouldn't have to figure out uh, what's going on, you know, with lawmakers and gun advocates and what's not going on with them. And have to do a nationwide school walkout. So in, on one hand, I, I think it's good. On the other hand, it's really a sad day to me. Like, it's a sad thing to me that this is where we are in the country. That this can't be figured out. That young kids think about that shit. Like, I remember what it was like to be 15, 16. Now, I'm going to be honest. And Moody, you could attest to this. We didn't go to school that much uh, in 1986. The 10th grade, I, I think I missed 60 days one semester. Right. Uh, yeah. Okay, but we weren't doing things like this. We weren't doing positive things. We were just playing hooky. Uh, we would literally, uh, when we were at Erasmus Hall in 1986, 87, um, as I've mentioned before, Erasmus Hall was considered by the New York Daily News the worst public school in New York City. Uh, me and Mr. Moody 
uh, would meet in the morning. Sometimes uh, I would sleep over at his apartment uh, in Brooklyn. Sometimes he would sleep over at my apartment uh, in Money Making Manhattan. And uh, we would act like we were going to school. We'd go to the train station, mm-hmm. go get some Hostess cupcakes, and then come back home. Yeah. I, I real, think- real pieces of shit. Real <laughs> productive pieces of shit. But this whole shit, man, this, uh, it's very simple. I think metal detectors in the school, it's unfortunate, but you have to do that. You can't, you're not getting these guns away from these people. It's going to take too long. The legislation is not going to be uh, right now, but metal detectors can be implemented in the school, and that will uh, take that threat away immediately. To me, it's just crazy that it's come to this, man. Yeah. That, that it's come to, sit, to see these young kids... I mean, literal teenagers, 15, 16, you know, 10th graders, 9th graders out there talking. Right. This shouldn't even be something that, you know, they're paying attention to all different races, all different colors from all different schools, nationwide walkout. Mm -hmm. This is a historic day. Um, So good for those kids. But like I said, I feel embarrassed and sad that this is where we are at in in America that we can't figure it out so people can make a few extra bucks. Right. You know, to appease these gun people. It's embarrassing. Hell yeah. Um, you was talking uh, about the, the, how great Serena and Venus was on the last episode. I was thinking, you know what? To even it up for the, the rest of the, uh, their opponents, they should just put their rackets down and play the girls without their fucking rackets. Give, give, give them a chance. <laughs> yo, as far as doubles is uh, concerned, yo, did, literally, the Williams sisters could play well into their 40s and compete at a high end. <laughs> A high level in women's doubles. Yeah. They're that good. They're that physically gifted. Um, at this point, they have such an understanding of the game and the intimidation factor. It's like they're so iconic. Right, right. You know, like to go out there, like if you're 20, like, yo, the Williams is 38, 37, as they'll be in a few years. They're not there yet. I know you might be listening, Serena and Venus. I'm just saying you guys can play. Imagine them at 40. They'll be able to kick ass in doubles. Yeah, without the rackets. Fuck it. <laughs> um. 23 years ago today, uh, Tupac, the man that the uh, quote-unquote non-rapping rapper, Little Zane, Little Zane, who we Willie Hutched. Matter of fact, Miles Jordan, let me get that Willie Hutch. Little Junkie. I'm not, I'm not going to Willie Hutch him. Just let me, let me just uh, keep this underneath it, because I just love hearing it. And I love that the people get so hyped when we hear that Willie Hutch comes in. There it is right there. Um, 23 years ago today, Tupac dropped classic Me Against the World. Uh, and, I, you know, there's been so much Tupac talk. You know, there was a, a whole Twitter thing. Mm-hmm. And my name was brought up in it. Uh, 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 and, and other people from this this little Zane shit. Oh, um, what they said. Why do young rappers hate Tupac? And I'm like... Why? See, this is this is that fake news shit. They this do? Is that fa- why do you acknowledge that? Well, why do you try to make that into a thing? Right. And do we know if, if that's true? I, I it's just- not true. A couple of people have said things because, you know, now it's like if you say something about them, you, you might get some recognition. Yo, if you want recognition as a rapper, why don't you just kick some flavor? Yeah. Why are you talking about Tupac? You're never going to be on that level of Tupac. If you want recognition, why are you talking about Tupac? Why don't you just go on Funk Flex or go with Sway and freestyle? Then you'll get some recognition. Yeah. And you know, this whole mumble rap thing, 
You know the reason why they mumble, right? Do, do you know the reason why they mumble? It's no. not because they're high out of their fucking mind on syrup and pills. The reason why they're mumbling is to try to disguise and hide the fact that they're not saying anything. Yeah. You, you know that, right? That's why they're like, you know, they might say a, a, a sentence that you can understand, and then it's like, that's like like the in-between, whereas like Method Man used to, like, like oh. they go, they'll do like a whole half a verse, and they'll mumble it, because they don't want you to hear that they're saying absolutely, positively nothing. Damn. Anyway, that's what it Tupac, came to? Oh, my God. That, that's what it came to. That's why they mumble, because they're not saying shit. The good rappers, even the good rappers of today, the J. Coles, the Kendrick Lamar, they're not mumbling. Damn, that's what, I, yo, this, this art they, form is in trouble, man. It's in trouble. Yo, why would you mumble if you're proud of what you're, you're, you're yeah, saying? Why you, would you mumble if, if you're proud of your lyrics? If you got talent, I'll, yo, I would want the crowd to hear me say fly shit. Like, like I want you to hear it. Man, it's terrible that it's come to that. It's terrible. It's, it's in trouble. It's in trouble. Um, speaking of non-mumble rappers, the late, great Sean Price, Brownsville MC, the epitome of a New York MC, the epitome of a New York rapper, and Illa G, Brooklyn, Brownsville, yeah. both MCs, both enunciates their words. Yeah. Both will slow down their words. Both can drop the music out of their tracks so you hear their words. They're dropping... A seven-song EP on Friday, the 16th, Duck Down Records. You know what the name of the record is? Nah. Metal Detectors. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's, that's so Sean Price. Sean Price is better than your favorite rapper, and the God has passed on over a year ago. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not saying any disrespect because I know he would have that sense of humor. Yo, I'm shitting on you from the grave. That's yeah. like a Sean Price lyric. Yeah. It, so it, they tr they're dropping an EP, Elegy, and the late great Sean Price, uh, Metal Detectors. It's coming out uh, the 16th, March 16th, Duck Down Records. Give a shout out to Elegy, Sean Price, Bernadette Price, his beautiful daughter, yeah. little Sean P., and all things duck down, Drew Ha, uh, and all that. Yeah. Um, I can't wait to hear. I heard some of it, and um, it's, it, it's that smacker rap. It's that I'll smack your father in front of you rap. It's that Brownsville talk. So uh, that'll be dropping in a couple of days, Metal Detectors, Duck Down Music. I'm sure it'll be all over the internet. And in the future, don't do a disservice to our guys comparing them to these little drug addicts, man. These little junkie <laughs> motherfuckers, man. Yo, don't do that. These guys are in their own lane let them do their drugs. Let them pill pop. Let them mumble their words. They won't be around uh, figuratively and literally. <laughs> um, my girl, Kellyanne Conway, I said this a couple of weeks ago. You can say what you want to say about cockeyed Kellyanne Conway, but I even acknowledged her here a, a couple episodes ago, and I said she is the epitome of a ride or die chick. She is the epitome of a gangster bitch. Say it ain't so, Kellyanne Conway. You cockeyed fuck you. <laughs> Apparently, she spent tens of thousands of dollars. Tax-paying dollars. Tens of thousands of tax-paying dollars on private flights. Say it ain't so, Kellyanne Conway. 
Are you the next to leave the White House? Wow. I mean, she is a fucking ragamuffin, man. She is a fucking ragamuffin, but she is ride or die. I mean, she, in my opinion, has suffered the most since Trump took over the White House. I mean, she was never winning any beauty contests, but she just looks fucking tired and torn down. Say it ain't so Kellyanne Conway and motherfucking Ben Carson. Crazy Ben Carson, this motherfucker also. All these people, they use... That was crazy. They use the people's money. <laughs> this guy tried to buy a $31,000 dining room set with your money, Monetti. No. So yes. No. Yes. Your guy, Ben Carson, housing and urban development secretary. Disco Ben Carson. He said he was surprised as anyone. That he learned that his staff had ordered a $31,000 dining room set. Yo, Ben. Yo, you're not that dude, Duke. Yeah, yeah. Them days are over. You trying to pull that shit over the wall. And you could blame your guy, Trump. He wanted to drain the swamp. Well, his people are in the fucking swamp. Ben's like, what the fuck am I supposed to have in a dining room? A folding chair? Yeah, he tried I- to get some fly shit from Bed Bath & Beyond. <laughs> he tried to get some fly shit from William & Sonoma. One of these nice places, and they said, "Nah, Duke, you need to go to Walmart. Get yourself six folding chairs and a barbecue. You're not having no fancy shit. Oh man, you're a government official. This isn't a high-paying job. You're there serving the country. Hey, these guys think they're celebrities, think they're stars. (laughs) Disco Ben Carson, the fuck is you doing? (laughs) Kellyanne Conway, yo, you you checking in to coach like everybody else? You're not flying private." Uh, Cockeyed Kelly, and he shut all that shit down. I got one rebuttal. You guys are like the National Enquirer. You're, you're, the, this is facts. The, the, the country is in great shape. You don't care about none of the policies. You care about the trivial bullshit. The, poli- the country is in great shape. I, I, I don't know what the fuck you guys are talking about. That's what I care about. You care about a dining room table. Before it was the cheeseburgers, but it's never anything, any policies. It's never I'm just that. letting you know you're, you're the man. national inquirer of the podcast. Yo, your man, Disco, Disco Ben Carson, is out here spending your money, Duke. Hey, hey. Uh, Dow He's Jones spending look your good, money. Brother. Kellyanne Conway thinks she's Beyonce. You're not Beyonce. You're not Katy Perry. You're not flying private. You ain't on fucking tour. Uh, the tax. You get on Delta Coach just like everybody else, and if you're lucky, you got TSA clearance. Cause your man Jared Kushner, he don't even have that TSA clearance. You see what else happened with your guy, uh, Dick Stain Donald Trump? Yeah, he's purging. He threw one of his purse, huh? He's purging the the bullshit guys. They gotta go. This is how. But you- he hired them. Hey, you hire some people, you and they find out they're assholes. You get them out of there. He got rid of uh, one of his personal aides. This 27-year-old former University of Connecticut. Yeah. He didn't think he was going to win the presidency. Uh, uh, yo, he won. And now it's like, oh, shit. But the country's in great shape. Give him credit. It didn't unravel. You chicken little-ass motherfuckers think the sky was falling. <laughs> it didn't fall. The country's in great shape. You care about bullshit. You don't have nothing about policy. It's about okay. what he's wearing. What, what okay, he, I just, just want to report the news. 
Why Why did he throw his man, John McEntee, out of the White House? My man couldn't even get his fucking jacket. They, they escorted him all off the White House grounds. They didn't even let my man get his jacket. He can't get his jacket? Hey, That's all I'm asking. Don't, my man, it's... it's, it's <laughs> Yo, it's March in D.C. It's cold. Let my man get his fucking jacket. Nah, nah. Man. Where's Donald Trump from? If you was in the position, you wouldn't let money get his jacket either. Yo, get the fuck off out the Rose Garden, B. <laughs> All right, let's get to it. Miles Jordan, let me get the sick fuck of the week music. This award is earned, not given. It's called the sick fuck of the week. This guy's really sick. Lock him up. How could you do it? Don't let him out. Damn. The door? You what? You fuck the door? Why would you fuck the dog? Why would you fuck your girlfriend's dog? What sick fuck? The sick fuck of the week. It's earned. Earned. Not given. You did what? No. 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 There it is right there. This is an award that is earned, not given. I know there are new listeners. The sick fuck of the week is an award that is earned, not given. Given. This one is 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 really, really, really upset. United Airlines, what the fuck are you doing? Oh man. <laughs> what are you doing? I, I don't know why these flight attendants, these stewardess and stewards, they think they're like police officers and they're just making up rules as they go along, kicking people off the plane. This is fucked up. Yeah. A woman was flying from Houston to New York. A flight attendant. Again, a flight attendant. Right. It's just a person with a job that works on an airline. Ordered the passenger to store her dog in the carrier. You know, the, the overhead thing. Mm. Damn. Apparently the dog was, was barking. It doesn't make a difference. Yo, you a flight attendant. You ain't a fucking cop. You don't get to just make up all these rules. I wouldn't a little puppy, a 10-month-old puppy, they put it in the overhead uh, where you put your luggage. I wouldn't put my dog up there. I would have been like, yo, man, suck my fucking <laughs> dick. You get in the overhead compartment. Yeah. The fuck you talking about? Yeah. I ain't put my puppy up there. I got clearance. I got the paperwork. You get in the fucking overhead compartment. Put yeah. some headphones on, bitch. Yeah, yeah. That, that was her fault. For, for Actually, if, if you cared about your dog... There's no way I'm going to put the dog up there, man. I'm not doing that. I'm going to get off the plane. Fuck Yo, it. Yo, land this motherfucking plane. I'm not putting up the little puppy. Word. The little French bulldog. This is terrible, man. Yeah. This is terrible, That's man. That's bad. When the plane landed, the dog was found dead in the bag. This, There's nothing funny about nah, this. Nah, hell no. I hope they sue the shit at United Airlines. I hope they sue the shit out of the flight attendant. Who, who, who made this, you know, on-the-fly decision because she was in a bad mood, annoyed, or whatever, didn't like the barking. Put some motherfucking Bose headphones on and yeah. go about your business. You're not a cop. Man. You're not a veterinarian. You put the dog in the thing, overhead compartment, where you put your, your knapsack, your sneakers, and all that shit. Yeah. And then, oh, the dog's gonna be okay. Nah, the dog wasn't okay. We're suing everybody. Yeah. That's fucked up. Imagine you get on a plane and this happens to your little puppy. And people love their dogs, man. That, that's traumatic. That's terrible. It's a tragedy, man. Woo. United Airlines, you are the sick fucks of the week. Congratulations. <laughs> and a lot of people called for this one. 
I got a lot of DMs, a lot of people on Twitter. They saw it. I saw it. I appreciate all sick fucks or good sick fucks. Send them our way. This is really nuts, this next one I got in Idaho. This guy's nuts. A junior high science teacher in Preston, Idaho. I mean, I can't even imagine what kind of plethora of sick fucks they have out there. It's being investigated after he fed a puppy to a giant snapping turtle in front of students. Oh. <laughs> and you talk about the Koreans. Yo, w- what's going on that, that a teacher thinks this is okay to do this in front of students? Man. Well, where, where do these people, that's what I'm saying, it's like, they're just making up all sorts of rules on the fly. That is fucking, I mean, that's traumatic too. Like, and, and the, the dog died, right? Or he got bit up. Of course the fucking dog died. Oh. And if you, look a pic, if you look up a picture of this sick fuck, his name is Robert Crossland, a junior high science teacher in Preston, Ohio. You know what he looks like, Gerald? What? A sick fuck. <laughs> of course. Of course. Third sick fuck of the week. And, and I'm going to be honest, I'm editing them because there's so many of them. We're just going to have to hold some of these for next week. I couldn't even keep up. I don't know what happened in the last, you know, six or seven days. So many sick fucks. I can't even do them all in this episode. I really can't. I mean, I could have just ended the sick fuck of the week segment after uh, the dog dying on the United flight situation yeah but i'm gonna keep going because i got to give the people what they want Mm -hmm. a fourth grade teacher this nothing funny about this either this is another thing this is a teacher an elementary school teacher in indiana you know what he looks like his name is joe kimier you look up a picture of joe kimier gerald do you know what he looks like what a sick fuck (laughs) this animal Who's going to wind up getting arrested, wind up going to jail, and wind up being the victim of sexual assault in prison with the Wonder Bread bag and possibly without the Wonder Bread bag for the rest of his life. A fourth grade teacher in Amelia Earhart Elementary School in Lafayette, Indiana, was arrested on a slew of charges after he turned baseball lessons with a bunch of young, underage, 14-year-old boys into masturbation sessions. Oh. This is a sick yeah. piece of shit. Joe Kimier, you dog, you animal. Yeah. Sick. No uh, olive oil. Pedophile. You're going to be sexually violated with red Kool-Aid lipstick the rest of your life. Pedophile. Damn. Man, I, I yo, I don't know what to say. I mean, he should be stoned. <laughs> Why do we have to pay for him to be imprisoned? Yeah. End him. If they find out this is real and he did this to all these children, just end him. Yeah. This is, there's no rehabilitation. And why do you put some like this, somebody like this in prison for the rest of their life? Stone. People will think twice if they're like, yo, you can't get away with it. You'll still have people doing dumb shit. You want to use those uh, AR guns? Use it for this type of lunatic. Just, just get rid of this person. You could do it publicly, not publicly. There's no reason for a person like that to live. Imagine yeah. that at a baseball practice, he does that. Finally, finally, a really sick, sick fucking New Delhi, India. A doctor 
Two doctors were suspended. Okay? They were having surgery. He had a bus accident. One of his legs had to be severed. Instead of getting rid of the the leg properly and continuing on with the surgery, you know what these sick fucking doctors did, Mr. Moody? What, what, what? I want to hear this. They took the man's leg that he lost in the accident, tucked it under his head, and used it as a fucking pillow. You sick fucks, you. These are doctors? Oh, it's not first-class healthcare out there. They probably had the operation in a motherfucking pool. Hey, Tucker, put a sweatshirt underneath his head. They use his leg, his severed leg, under to, to prop his head up. Hey. I'm going to give you one more. Give me one. I'm going to give you one more. And Listen, all you people out there that are freaking off on these social media sites, I don't know what you're into, Tinder, Grindr, whatever you're into, straight, not straight, pay attention to what you're doing, mm-hmm. okay? A 21-year-old man was arrested, Okay? Two men, they, they met on one of these social media sites in Brooklyn, Bed-Stuy, oh. near Marcus Garvey Boulevard. You're well aware where this is, Jim Onetti. Willoughby, Willoughby Avenue and Marcus Garvey. Oh, Bed-Stuy. They met up for a little rendezvous. They met on social media. They were about to have their little their thing and freak off. The 21-year-old suspect beat the 60-year-old man in the head with a dumbbell after rejecting his sexual advances when they finally met. Shit ain't sweet, oh. okay? You think you're going there, you got a love connection, you're going to freak off, you're going to get in and out. Shit isn't sweet. It ain't all that it's cracked up to be. Watch yourself in these streets. That was another award-winning sick fuck of the week segment. <laughs> let's get to it. Miles Jordan, let me, let, me, let me get this little intro, Okay. Coming up next, I am Rapport Stereo Podcast. So much basketball talk. I couldn't even contain myself. Monetti, I got to tell you something. We literally could have kept going for three hours. David Fisdale loves fucking basketball. He loves to talk about basketball, and he speaks about it in layman's terms. Yeah, I see him on TV. Play the good chunk of his now infamous You're Not Gonna Rook Me rant. Miles Jordan, give him a little beat. And coming up next on the Iron Rapport Stereo Podcast, the great, the funny, the passionate David Fisdale. Let's go, coach. Peace. First half, we shot 19 points, shots, 19 shots in the paint, and we had six free throws. They shot 11 times in the paint, and they had 23 free throws. I'm not a numbers guy, but that doesn't seem to add up. Overall, 35 times we shot the ball in the paint. We had 15 free throws for the game. They shot 18 times in the paint and had 32 free throws. Kawhi shot more free throws than our whole team. Explain it to me. We don't get the respect that these guys deserve because Mike Conley doesn't go crazy. He has class and he just plays the game. But I'm not going to let them treat us that way. You know, I know Pop's got pedigree and I'm a young rookie, but they're not going to rook us. That's unacceptable. That was unprofessional. My guys dug in that game and earned the right to be in that game and they did not even give us a chance. Take that for data. All right. This is it. This is it. This is it. I'm declaring this a classic before my guy 
even oh, says a word. Man, that's a lot of press. I know this is going to be a class. <laughs> okay? He's not going to rook me. He's coming in here. I know the other podcasts have pedigree, but you're not going to rook me. <laughs> I'm here with David Fisdale, the coach. My man. Who, I mean, when you were with Miami, everybody sort of was watching that team, and you were the guy that would either, the players would either come to the bench and start arguing with you, you'd start <laughs> arguing with them, before or during or split, they'd go to Spolstra, yep. they'd come see Coach Fisdale. Yeah, I was kind of the buffer. Uh, you know, if I could save Spo's voice and try to handle a lot of the stuff for him, it was uh uh, that was kind of my role with the team, that I had to step in there and kind of play a uh, mediator a lot. And sometimes I had to speak Spo to them, and I had to speak players to Spo. So uh, it was a good experience for me. It made it fun. And obviously the people I got to be around was amazing. I'm sure. We're going to get to them. <laughs> and, I, you know, I, I, uh, everything is above board. You know, I'll say it to your face. I say it to all their face. I, <laughs> the Miami Heat, going back to the Knicks Miami Heat, to your Miami Heatles, I'm never going to love that team. I appreciate all the greatness. <laughs> I appreciate the Ronnie Cycli, the Alonzo Mornings, the Tim Hardaways. You know your history, bro. All the guys, but it's never going to be a love fest. I have. I just make sure that people don't go, oh, you, you, you're trying to front like you're a Miami Heat no, fan. No, no, no. I know that, right? As soon as the day I met you, I knew there was no way you could be a Heat fan. As soon as I heard you talk, I knew I, that you couldn't be a Heat fan because you, you're, like my wife said when she met you, you are way New York. Totally New <laughs> All York. All New York. And, and you, you know, people think that for Knicks fans, me in particular, that, you know, we just started hating when LeBron and them came. But uh -uh. I'm like, yo, this goes back. That's deep hate. Yeah, That's this Pat is, Riley leaving for Miami. Yeah, but, but before Pat went yeah. there, we because Pat taught us how to hate the yeah, Miami Heat. That's true. <laughs> All right, so the first thing I have to ask you about, because I think when you became sort of a national attention was obviously last year during the playoffs with, with the rant that I just quoted where I was like, I love this dude. Memphis <laughs> Grizzlies are playing the the Spurs. Uh, whatever, the, like you felt that uh, you guys weren't getting calls. You know, you're speaking, and in this social media age, it becomes... Yeah, viral. I mean, crazy viral. Was not expecting any of that. You're just, just talking. Yeah, I'm fighting for my team. I'm desperate. You know, I felt like, you know, there were some calls I should have got there. Uh, you know, it doesn't feel comfortable to be down 0-2 to a, a pop coach team, so... You know, I was letting all my chips hit the table. And, uh, you know, obviously I, I got a little organized because I went through the numbers. I never cursed. You didn't curse. I didn't curse. Uh, I did raise my voice, obviously. But uh, I didn't think it was going to go viral. And my wife was on the way to the airport. And she's on social media. She's into it. And uh, she hits me up and she goes, what did you just do? And I go, uh-oh. <laughs> and so I guess it just took off from there. So what were the ramifications of that? Because now you're right now, currently, at least for the time being throughout this season, you're part of the media. Yeah. You're, you're working on ESPN. You're calling. Uh, you know, you're doing the jump. You do pregame. Are you going to cover games during the, the yeah, playoffs? Yeah, we've talked about some stuff. ESPN has been really good to me and letting me uh, do some stuff with them. And, and the playoffs is definitely something that we discuss. So before, and I'm announcing it, at some point, at some place, before you get your next coaching job, because you're meant to coach, you look <laughs> like, how old are you? 43. 43. 
Okay, so you, you like you know the, the little stint in Memphis, whatever it was. There's more coaching. We didn't take it this far. No, I got a lot more left in me. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. So now that you're part of the media and you know sort of what that's like, you've interviewed people. You have to speak on stuff, and then when you're doing like the rant in Memphis, the in between the lines of the rant of yeah. don't rook us. You know, Zach didn't go to the free throw line. Kawhi went to the free throw line. I know the rant pretty good. I'm gonna do a I'm gonna do a dramatic reading of it later. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna do the you know like the implications you know, and Miami has and Miami has had this for for years. The implications: the refs aren't giving us the calls, and you know you're not the pedigree. Like, what is that? Like when fans say these games are fixed, or you know Steph's wife, she spoke out about it. I mean, yeah. it, it's it happens all the time. Like the Miami Heat, um. Uh, Dallas Mavericks series is probably the most sort of famous one because it's been scrutinizing. Mark Cuban got fined out of his yeah. ass for it. You know, you got to, I think it just comes from a, 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 when you feel like you're dealing with injustice, you know, and if you have that gene inside of you that, that you don't do well when you feel like someone's uh, presenting you with an injustice, uh-huh. you react. And, uh, you know, it seems like a lot of the the people who are at the top and in the great organizations that have fought tooth and nail to get just to hold that trophy, you'll do anything. <laughs> I mean, right. you got to be kidding me. I'll give up a pinky toe to hold that trophy again. And so, you know, when it comes down to it, man, when you feel like you maybe not getting the calls or you getting the respect that you you warrant, you know, you you got to go off. And but, that's what it is. But do you think it's like, I mean, like for fans, like to, to keep yeah. people so like, do you think it's like, well, Popovich is a star. There's star quality. You're a rookie coach. Like they could get away with I, I this. Think, like, I think in, in any industry, there's a, a human condition. You know, people are people. And, it, you know, I know these these officials aren't robots. You right. Know, and, and they're going to be influenced one way or another by certain things. You know, it doesn't make them bad officials. It just makes them human beings. Did I lean on that a little bit to try to get things to work my way? Absolutely. You know, I tried to to work on the psychology of it and maybe get a couple calls to go my way. But, you know, that's just the human condition. It's in every sport. You know, if Bill Belichick is going off on a ref in football, he's probably going to get a little more leverage to do that than a young guy who's just getting his first shot. Um, that's just how it works, right. and that's part of the deal. But at the same time, it doesn't mean I can't point it out when I'm getting my ass kicked. Right, and you, you got to do something. <laughs> right. Where the, I mean, the players obviously knew you, but, I mean, the response from the city of Memphis and the fans, yeah. I think you got a standing ovation. It the was next unbelievable, game. man. It was, it was, I never expected that. That was the like, part I, mean, for I didn't a coach anticipate. Get... Yeah, my first year, and, and it was electric, man. I walked into the building, it was before they did any of the announcements, and the place erupted, man. It was like I had goosebumps, and I was like, there's no way we're losing this game. Like, we just can't lose this game. And uh, luckily, the guy stepped up, man, and, and we tied that thing up too, too. All right, so whatever happened in Memphis, I don't care. I know you're coaching again. The question I have for you is early in this season, 2017, the beginning of 2018 season, Mm -hmm. 2017, you get fired from Memphis. Yep. You know, uh, which was so early in the season, which is crazy for any coach to happen. It's crazy for a young coach who was sort of, you uh, you know, under Pat Riley and sort of has the pedigree. Um, you know, to have this happen. How do you and how did you sort of turn off? Like, how long did it take for you to sort of like, because there must have been a shock. Yeah. How, how long did it take for you to go like, 
oh shit, like I've busted my right. ass for this many years and it's happening. It's not only happening, this is bullshit. This is some bullshit. Like it's not like I'm getting fired at the end of the year. Right. We've 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 sucked for four years. Yeah. I'm not meant to be a, a coach. Right. Like it's, how do you turn the the muscle off? It was it was a uh, uh definitely a, a outer body experience for me because you gotta think it's been I probably have been coaching twenty one years of my life straight through. Never out of work, never not working, always doing something. And you know, it it took me fourteen months to lose my job. So you know, I was it, it one is humbling as hell. You uh-huh. know, you know, whether you whether you want to blame other people or however you want to look at it, it's humbling. And it's nothing wrong with being humbled. Um, you know, I, my grandfather used to tell me that all the time: humble yourself. Mm. And so that was the first part of it. Um, but I don't know if I've even turned off. Um, I've really tried to train myself to not look at things as good and bad, you know, because you don't know what it's going to lead to. You don't know the result of a situation. So, you know, me going through this situation and being fired, I'm grateful to Memphis. I'm mm-hmm. grateful to the city. I'm grateful to those players because they allow me to grow and learn. And who knows what this is going to turn into after this, you know. And so I just... You know, I had a few days where I was dark, you know, right. and I was, you go into your dungeon and into your cave and, uh, you know, uh, I got some, I got some news that really picked me up about, it was a few weeks afterwards and uh, uh, the head of the Civil Rights Museum um, hit me up, Terry Freeman, with a text saying that the Memphis was bringing down uh, the Confederate statues that we had worked really hard to get taken down. And it just put things into perspective for me that, you know what? I made some kind of impact. Mm-hmm. I was a part of something. I did something that will leave a mark in that city and, and connect me to that city no matter what. Mm-hmm. And it picked me up. And it like really just got me back to like, okay, go start meeting with people. Start meeting with coaches when they come into town. Go out and see teams. You know, go meet with people that you never expected you would meet with. Mm-hmm. You know, leaders of different fields. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just got after it and just started – you know, got my body moving because my wife was about to kill me. Right. And so I was like, yeah, I got to get out of the house or she's going to strangle me or start making me do stuff I really don't want to do. Right. <laughs> when you have that time off and you've coached for 21 years, and obviously, uh, without saying and it's an understatement, basketball is something you adore. You love it. Yeah, it's part of my breathing apparatus <laughs> and and you've been you know for 21 years like yeah. it's it's almost like pavlov's uh bell this time of the year you're part of basketball whether it was going back to when you were assistant didn't matter uh, you know yeah so so how are you watching the nba and also knowing that you want to coach again like what have you been able to sort of step back like have you able to learn and or, or do you not even watch as much i don't watch as much as crazy as that sounds i actually have been going back through film and things that I've been interested in from other teams uh, on my laptop and just digging back into, like, classic film. And oh. not – I've been watching the NBA and just staying so I can stay up to up to par on what's going on. But I haven't been watching it religiously. I've literally been going back through old edits, offensive ideas that I had thought of that I really wanted to study, you know, different coaches, offensive systems like Scott Skiles and people like that who are kind of out – but they ran good stuff. I got you. And I never really had time to dig into that kind of film. And so I've done that with defenses. You know, I really dove into, uh, you know, just recently, because, you know, I don't know if you saw, but last summer I spent, you know, two weeks with Larry Brown. Right. 
unbelievable. You know, you end up realizing how much you don't know. Why is he? Because it's the details. He doesn't miss anything. He can be talking to you over here, and he's seen five or six things that should have been coached by your assistant coaches. And so what he was doing is he was tightening up my operation for me and walking around the gym and, hey, you should be coaching this right now. And what are you looking at? And, like, just coaching my coaches. And it was just an incredible experience. So, you know, those type of things, I think when you spend time with people like that, that's what, like, that gets me going. I got you. You know what I mean? That's like when I get to spend time with Pat and, and, and you know, older coaches who have, have really, they, they what do they say? They've forgotten more than we've ever learned. Uh-huh. That it ignited me. And so he came out and I just, so what I started doing recently is I got into my Detroit Pistons film. Of and, which era? His era. Okay. And, you know, when that was Chauncey and Sheed and, and Ben Wallace and Tayshawn and Rip and all of those guys, and then they brought those two Bulldogs, Lindsey Hunter and Mike James, off the bench, and they sucked them on you. And they, Because what I'm trying to get them, and then I got into his Philly film of his Philly teams with AI, when AI was the only guy on the court that could score, but you couldn't score against them. And because the reason I did is because if I do get back soon, how do I beat the best? I'm not going to outscore Houston and Golden State. That's just not realistic. No matter what team I take, mm-hmm. I just don't realistically see that happening where I'm just going to walk into a team that can outscore them. So I got to have a defense that's number one. And so I've really dove into the best defenses in the league and just really tried to spend my time locked into learning from the best. So when you watch Larry Brown teams, you know, signature teams of the Philly teams mm-hmm. with AI and Dikembe and the Detroit team you just mentioned. Can you clearly see that's a Larry Brown coach team? Absolutely. Like, what is it like, you know, that you could describe? Like, obviously, we can't see it. Like, what is it that you could describe specifically? Just right out the gate, the, the level of competition. The know, how hard they're playing? How hard they're playing, the fact how much contact they're making with their opponent. The minute you touch the ball, they're picking you up full court. The minute you try to bust to get the ball and create a lead to catch it, they're denying that, making you go somewhere else. You cut through the lane, you getting hit, you getting bumped, you getting touched. Like there's no way you're gonna go through the lane without feeling some contact. Mm-hmm. When they foul you, it's real. It's not dirty, maybe a little bit, but it's real. And that is what you see. And they don't make, you know, uh, coverage mistakes. They don't make communication mistakes. Those teams, Larry's teams, communicated at the highest levels, especially once they got Rasheed. Mm. Oh my God, you know he's the biggest mouth in the league. I hope he's listening. Big mouth, but but he uh, he would talk everybody into position on that team. Rasheed was. Oh my God, it was he was the difference in that team winning the title. He I was got the you. injection they needed, and you know credit to Joe Dumars and those guys for seeing that and being able to say, hey, this is exactly what this team needs to put us over the top. And so you know that's when you know it's a Larry Brown team. The way they talk, the way they execute their defense, and then the way they finish their possessions. You're never going to get an open, clean look off of them. They're going to contest everything, and then they're giving you one shot, and they're gone. And they just, all through his career, if you watch any of his teams, through college, through pro, they all had that same intensity. Now, Larry Brown with the Philly teams, like I, the years, I can't remember, but like the AI, when they obviously— we, Shaq and Kobe years. You, that you know. They were under man, but I mean, that was like a, a triumph of the spirit. And then Detroit. Now, is that style of basketball, because you just mentioned we, Golden State— uh, Houston. Houston's like almost like, what the hell's going on here? Yeah. Is that style of basketball that you're studying and looking at, would it apply today? 
Yeah, defensively it does. It, it's, it's just can you tweak it to where, okay, we'll switch these situations so that we're not scrambling around trying to keep up with these three-point shooting teams. Uh, you know, maybe we, we won't rotate here. We'll just stun at a guy and keep ourselves out of rotation here. You know, it's just little tweaks to the system that makes it more relevant to today. Mm-hmm. I think it's the offensive style that you always have to be mindful of is can you keep up and keep the scoring up to a pace that that you have a chance to win games. That's where I don't think you could take the air out of the ball. I don't think you could play a slowdown game anymore. You you can't you don't think you could win playing slowdown? Not a not at the highest level. Not against who's playing. I just don't see I don't think there's a team that, that that's together today. Even with full health, I don't think there's a team that can beat the best in our league right now. Do you think that like when Golden State finishes their run, whatever, five, six years, um, and you know, whatever happens with Houston, that this will always be the blueprint to win. You have to shoot threes. It has to be running gun like Houston. Or will it ever go back to, or will the players dictate that? Like, or is yeah. this the style of basketball that will win forever unless the rules change? I'd just be really surprised to see it go back. Um, I know everything kind of comes back full circle, but man, I don't. Ju- I just the skill level of these kids now. You know, you're talking about centers like Joel Embiid, you know, Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Davis. These guys come into the league already being the fastest guy on the court. They can they can jump over everybody and they shoot threes. I mean, that's if that's the evolution of the five man. And that's just continuing to go in that direction. I don't see how it slows down anytime soon. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? So, you know, because look at the, if that's what the fives are doing. Look at what the guards. The guards are all Steph. Look, look at the kid in college now, uh, Trey Young. Trey Young. You know, I mean, Steph. You can't say that that wasn't influenced. Absolutely. You know, it's like you can't say when you watched Kobe Bryant, there wasn't a Jordan influence there. Of course. You know, and so that's what's happening is these kids are watching this generation, the KDs, the Stephs, the LeBrons, and they're patenting their game. I think I'm Kyrie Irvins. You're going to start seeing a generation of kids finishing around the hoop in a way that we've never seen before right. because they're watching Kyrie. In fact, I teach my guys, and you can ask people. We started in Miami, and it's a lot of teams that do it. Everybody has their way of doing it, but we teach finishing off the wrong foot, with the wrong hand, using the board, mastering the board, all different angles um, until it becomes fundamental. Now, how do you teach it? And, like, well, obviously what Kyrie is doing, he's taking everything from what Rod Strickland, Isaiah Thomas, Zeke Thomas, to – I mean, going back to Nate Tiny Archibald to what Doc was doing. and I mean, Kyrie's like – he mastered the whole thing. He put it all together. And, you know, like we were talking the other day, like they call it the Euro step. Dr. J used to do that. Right. Euro, but it was crazy long. He it was a boom. all the way over there. He stepped like damn near out of bounds. <laughs> and, you know, like so, so you actually teach that. Yeah, yeah, we teach it. We teach, the, we teach the Euro step. We teach it off of both legs so you can be able to do it right to left, uh, left to right. Um, you know, we teach popping the ball out like James Harden so that you draw fouls and keep the ball away and – that's to, you know, Jim Boylan, uh, assistant coach with Chicago Bulls, was the first one that taught me that. Uh, he used to do it with Stevie Franchise and Catino Mobley in Houston. And it, would, it totally clicked with me because how he put it was, you work on your jump shot all day, but no one spends time on their finishes, and most of your shots are happening around the basket. And so I just really dove into that, and it clicked with me when he taught me that about 17 years ago. Um, and I just started working with it and playing with it and watching how guys moved and thought about how I played when I was a player and because I was a slow guard, so I used to have to do layups off the wrong leg to just uh-huh. get my shot off. 
And it, I just started trying to make it into my own fundamental. And when I got with Spo, he saw it exactly the same way. And we literally built a program around how to make layups in different ways and different angles. And what about D. Wade? Like, you know, obviously James Harden, that particular sort of thing that he does, mm-hmm. you know, Dwayne Wade. I mean, Doc was doing it. You know, he was started going over time. But what about D. Wade? Like, because he was doing this sort of like, instead of going forward, it's sideways, yeah. sideways, forward. You know, the, the did you talk, like, work with him on the it? And first, was he open to it? When I first got there, he walked in the gym and I was teaching the young guys the Euro step. And I had already known that he was doing that in games naturally. And so... uh when I start, he goes, man, you know, that's what I do. I said, yeah. I said, I like to teach guys how to do it. He said, oh, you can't teach what I what I do. I said, yeah, I can. I said, watch it. I said, jump in. And so all the guys were doing it, but I had it where they were playing keep away like James Harden. And so the next time when he did it, I didn't coach him. And as soon as he took his step back across the lane, he brought the ball back to me. I stripped him. And I said, so I can teach you something about the two-step. He said, yes, you can. And from that moment, it was like he helped me morph it and helped uh, Spo morph it and turn it into something that was just like, you know, it seemed complicated, but it was it was very fundamental, right? And that was what uh, my marriage counselor used to say to me, <laughs> to me and my wife, uh, it's simple but not simplistic. Right. 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 <laughs> marriage, I don't know about the Euro step, but marriage, I can't speak on the Euro step, but I can speak on... Oh man. So D Wade, I mean we could do a whole podcast just on on special on guy. This special. thing that happened in, in the, the terrible shooting. Yeah. You know, D Wade, he may play next year, he may not play next year. He was in Chicago, then he's uh he goes to Cleveland, it doesn't work. This terrible incident happens down in Florida. Uh D Wade throws back the hands of time. Oh my gosh. What is it about him? That's a, I, th- I see that's something you cannot give a player. You know how you always talk about it? They say, oh, you can't give a player heart. You can't give a player that. You cannot give a player that I want the ball in that moment and understand the moment first off. Hey, this moment needs, this is a moment that's happening. This moment needs somebody to step into it and take it. And he understands that better than any player I've ever coached. Um, you know, even more than LeBron. Like LeBron grew into it and really like, morphed into that but D-Wade just had it and you saw it early on in his career even in college like he could just take a game over in a way um and and understand like what was needed in a way like I had never seen and that moment in, in Florida was like this guy he was in Cleveland and somehow it worked out that he was back in Miami before this happens and this kid was buried in his jersey and for him to understand that this is what his city needed, they needed that inspiration, they needed to be lifted up and to be able to execute it, that's uh, that's special. And I don't know how you give guys that. I don't know what parents teach their kids. I don't know what a kid has to go through, but he has it, and it is part of his DNA. Two guards. Where does D-Wade rank in terms of? I think top three. Michael? You know, uh, Michael, Kobe, him. I mean, obviously, I'm throwing them above, if you want to call Jerry West and, and guys like that, too, as I understand it. But I just think that for what he's done, three championships, finals MVP, uh, he's going to have a statue on, on Biscayne Boulevard. They Do you guys got, have statues down there yet? Not yet. He's going to be the one. You know, it's a young organization. You yeah, know, I know. He overall is, is, is if you look at the, the big scheme of it, it's, it was an expansion team. Yes. And so... You know, they don't have statues yet, but they have three championships. And it's teams that's been around this league a long time. I feel like you're making a Knicks joke there. 
like you're no, saying that was did. not a shot no at but the i Knicks feel like because it's like and you did but a I real just, like like you did just I lay just it out saying, there no like that's what you know they they're young so they don't have statues okay but, no, but hey, look, they, i got big respect for the Knicks. you kidding me man that's history right now nah, I, I know but it's like you didn't like i felt like there was just like a little punch to punch to it i'm gonna ask you right now i'm gonna put yeah. you on the spot can this be part one of another podcast? You come back again. Can I already invite you for yeah, another? Yeah, come on, we boys, come on. Okay, because I can't. This is I, kicking it. I felt like at the crib, I like barely put on clothes. Like I, this is what I slept in yesterday. The coach I just, is, you're no, I just like, Ubered over. If 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 the coach was seen like this, Fizdale, there would be you can't. This is like not coach coach. Like if you saw this dude here, you'd be like, yo, what's up, my but man? But this is how I am with my players. It's just uh, I, I never try to act above them or bigger than them. I try to connect to them. Obviously, I have to be the person that holds them accountable, but it doesn't mean it's always got to be combative and, and you know, you and me and you over here and I'm over here. I'm coach your players. You know, I like to have a relationship with these guys. But how do you balance that? Because, you know, when, when I met you, I met, I met Dave at a party over All-Star break, and I just heard the way you would, like, the way you greeted D-Wade, you ran into him. I, I was already like, I fucking love this dude, but I was like, this is, I would you would never hear other coaches, like, that's your dude, like, you, yeah. your friends. How do you balance that when you go back into the league where, you know, obviously Dwayne is older, so and you guys sort of grew up together, yeah. so there is that sort of, like, where your guards are down, and you don't need him to sort of, Show you the respect, but how do you how are you gonna balance that when you go forward but to being was, a cool dude? It was warm, but see, but that's the thing that, that people don't understand. It's is our relationship is based in respect. It's it's yeah, we're cool, but he knows like when we stepped in that gym, it was man, we gotta win a title. So our friendship for now is here and let me coach you. And I'm never gonna come unprepared, and I'm always gonna tell you the things that you need to hear, not what you wanna hear. And the fact that I would always do that with them, always, you know, Spo was always like that with them, you know, that to a point where the respect was there. And they knew that they could come back at us and it wouldn't be personal. In terms of like they could yeah. say or be frustrated. You, you or be see like, us arguing all the time. You guys there. will argue all the time. I'm so I'm just happy Udonis Haslam never punched me out right on the sideline because there was times me and him would be going at it. Realistically, we were saying the same stuff. But it was just from a player's point of view and a coach's point of view. But we'd be fired up over there, man. I mean, you remember the playoffs? D-Wade and Spo were going at it in Indiana. The next game, we come back, you wouldn't even know it happened. Because it was, it was built out of competition and the thrill of the competition and understanding that we just had to win titles. And, you know, out of that, you spend so much time together. You get to know each other's families. You know, you there for guys when they go through real stuff, you know, custody battles. Mm -hmm. and, you know, divorces and death. And, you know, I was with the guy for almost 10 years. Mm -hmm. And so... I, and you went from being 41, 31 to 41. Yeah, basically. and right? and Ish. Yeah, and that relationship over time with all of those guys just became family. I got you. You know, and, and you know, now to the point where we vacation together and our wives are friends. I got and you. Our, you know, all of our kids are friends. My son calls... Them uncle. I got you. You know, when he sees LeBron, it's Uncle LeBron, it's Uncle Wade, and it's, you know, but you had to, it was built on f respect. I got you. It wasn't built on, hey, I'm going to kiss your ass and we all cool and you get to do whatever you want to do. I no, got you. You don't get back on defense. I'm going to be the first one up your ass. Right. You know, and so that's where they realize, all right, this dude ain't letting us off the hook. And so let's just listen to what he's got to say. But at the same time, they knew they can go off. And I listen. I'd hear it. I wouldn't take it as personal, and we move on. And 
that's why we ended up now to even to this day we're all so close. LeBron James. I obviously I would never try to argue his greatness and everything he's done. Who's the hardest working player you've ever seen? You just play? said it. That's LeBron. It. Yeah, I don't know. If well, I'm what ever don't we see? Because we see scenes. at this point we see all this crazy shit. I mean, you know, he and as much as I break his balls, he can't win. He says something, we break his balls. He doesn't say something, we break his balls. You know, it's he can't fucking win. None of these players can win because yeah. it's crazy because these NBA players, all of them, and now he's, you know, a veteran, they're living in a 24-7 reality show. Oh, yeah. If they talk shit on the court and it's not in the game, it'll wind up on Instagram. Like they, Everything. Everything's and, and he's news sort of the, he's the He's the epicenter of it all. Where he's at now, though, he's in a place now that, the you know, he's got the monkey off of his back. And so he doesn't have to give a damn about what anybody says. Me, you, any of the media, he doesn't have to care about that. Now, he's still going to handle himself professionally. He's going to go about it every day the right way. But I just think what you're seeing now and what you've probably seen, you know, over the last probably four or five years, once he won that title, was just a more confident, secure, sure human being. And what people don't see is that he's it's not many minutes of his day that he's sitting on his ass. What is he doing? He's doing he's lifting. He's he's doing Pilates. He's doing yoga. He's riding his bike. He's in the gym shooting. He's he's either he's doing treatment. He's watching film. He's always trying to improve and stay as the number one player in the world and he's always trying to put himself in a position to win championships. When you say ride his bike, like what? Ride his bike what? Yeah, so like, you know, I, people knew about this back in Miami, but you know, you be I'd be pulling into work some days and and I'd see this six nine dude in like you know bike clothes, like the tights and the tight shirts and and the, the shades and the helmet and the whole. And he starts taking off his gear. He takes his head, and it's LeBron underneath this bike gear. And he's he's rode his speed bike in to exercise from home to the gym. And going in the regular highway, like in regular highway, Biscayne Boulevard. Got his head down. People don't know it's him. He's just flying down the street like <laughs> like one of these guys in the Tour de France, and. That's how he would get like that was like a little workout for him. Now he would just he would just hop on his bike and do stuff like that. But that's how he was built, man. And then he would always end up being. It was very few days that he wasn't one of the first people in the building and one of the last to leave. You know, he just that's how he's. And then the last part about it, where people are, the guy is a smart dude. He's always reading, learning, studying. Like outside of basketball, he's he's. He so is, when he was reading the Harry Potter books. <laughs> That wasn't just, oh, I'm reading the Harry Potter. Like, remember where I think it was, it might have been sharp, in Cleveland. Man. Yeah, he reads everything. He reads business books. He reads, you know, Harry Potter stuff. He reads leadership stuff. But he's always feeding his brain. All the time he's feeding his brain. And so that's where, at least for the time that I've spent with with him and been around great players, that to me is what makes him different than anybody I've ever seen. Right, but, you know, you've heard about the work ethic of Jordan and Kobe and all of those guys. So I wasn't around them, but they got legendary stuff too. Kobe in the summer was every morning four thirty-five a.m. having these private workouts, and you know, guys would be dropping out of the workout, and Kobe would still be going. Right. You know, working on his game. In. You know, Jordan was the kind of guy that could go out with the guys all night, and you know, if you saw him that night. The next day, he beat you in the gym, and you like, wait a minute, I just saw you. You were having drinks with your buddies, but you're in here, and you beat me to work. Like, that's the kind of guy Jordan was. So when you talk about greatness, I think that that one ingredient has to be a part of it. 
but I don't know if he worked harder than them. I just know he worked harder than everybody I had been around. I got you. <laughs> and the, that Miami Heat team, I mean, there was so much. I, I mean, I, it was just like there should be a documentary just on the decision to win going oh, it back. Will it will be. be. It will be. Just, it has just to be. From when he went to there to when he left. Oh, my And you were goodness. there for the whole the whole thing. We saw the whole thing up close. Uh, all right. Let me ask you. Just pick <laughs> pick questions. Did you find out LeBron James was going to the Miami Heat the same way everybody else did? No. I was one of the first people to know. You knew before the Jim Gray disaster. Yeah, I knew before all of that. Yeah, because how was, do you know? Because I'm with D Wade, and so D Wade and I was at Prime One Twelve. He rented out what a was room, that steakhouse, the steakhouse on the beach. That's our spot. We he rented out the back room, invited all our friends, family, whatever, for the decision. And this is, you know, we're there two hours before whatever. And D Wade's got his phone right there, so we're sitting there. Yeah, they got this on film. We're sitting there, and and we get a text, you know, right before he tells goes out to tell everybody. I'm coming to South Beach, and me and him look at each other. Then he walks up there, and he does the Jim Gray, the whole deal. And no one else knew other than, I mean, so his close people knew, I'm sure. But in our group, it wasn't very, very few people knew that that was going through. And the first year, I mean, these guys were at their peak. Yeah. Bosch, who we like, sort of like forgot about his greatness. Beast. <laughs> He's a freak. Hall of Famer, I'm telling you. Book, book it. And LeBron and Wade... They come down there, everybody. I'm on the front lines of it. I can't stand this damn team. They were easy to hate. Yeah. We were easy to hate, especially after we did the oh, the whole not one, not two, not three. Not four. Not four. Not five. <sighs> not six. <laughs> not seven. I was like. Hey, he's crazy, but it takes balls. He knew what he was doing. He was just putting pressure on himself. I like it. I like guys that ain't afraid. I, I think, you know. These guys get a lot of criticism for chasing championships and leaving their team and do this. I think it takes balls. I think because now you have to win it. Kevin Durant had to win it. Right. Right? You know what I mean? Like you talking about I got, I'm got. i leaving this team that was in the Western Conference Finals against this team, and I'm leaving to go play with them. You have to win it now. And that takes – you're putting all the chips in now. Mm-hmm. And I thought LeBron did that twice. Twice. And did it. And he did it. <laughs> so – you know, that's where, that's where you know, I, I know people see him in all of these different lights. I looked through all of that and I said, man, how hard that had to be to do what he did and to actually accomplish it in both places. You know, that's that to me is to be marveled at. Do you, but you grew up in, you know, you're watching 80s basketball, 90s basketball, oh, yeah. early 2000s basketball, Larry Brown, you know, and obviously this conversation is another one. I'm getting sick of it also, but like, now it's like almost like you have to be a part of the banana boat. You have to be friends with these dudes. You have to be part of the cool kids click right. to click up and win. Like what's going to happen to the Orlando Magic? You know, what's going to happen to, you know, the, the landscape of the other leagues that maybe they aren't friends. Maybe, you know, Porzingis, you know, he grew up in, you know, in Europe. He doesn't know these guys. Right. He didn't play AAU with them. It all, it all shifts. Um, you know, I think, you know, the draft always dictates a lot of time where talent ends up. You know, so again, a, a poor Zingas. Um, you know, here he is in New York. This is where he ended up. New York's a great market. Poor Zingas comes back healthy. They keep building the team the right way around him. A free agent will look at that situation and say, that's something I want to be a part of. Guys aren't just running to go play with their buddies as much just to play with their buddies. If they think 
I might not get shots. I might not get the playing time or the the prestige or whatever. So there is a balance to it. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not just saying I'm just gonna go jump on this team and mm-hmm. give up, sacrifice all of this other stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, so you know those teams have a chance to build, and it's just a matter of getting the right combination of of uh, GM, president, coach together with the right vision, and you draft the right young talent. You start attracting, you know, those uh, fringe free agents, guys right. that those good veteran players that still can really help your young guys grow. Next thing you know, you're winning, you're in the playoffs, and you have an opportunity to hit one of those free agents. You've built relationships with an agent, or maybe you've just created a great atmosphere. Um, that's how you start reeling them in. But you also got to be able to pitch it. You got to be able to sell it to them, and uh, you know. The Golden State Warriors had to sell it to KD. It wasn't just he walked into Golden State. He went to Boston. He went here. He went to Miami. He was everywhere. But they had to pitch it. You know, Pat had to seal that deal with with LeBron, Chris Bosh, and Dwayne. Like Dwayne orchestrated it behind the scenes, but Pat had to make it like this. This is why, and this is this is why you should sign the paperwork. And so you still have to have some. You know, that's why I say the GM, coach, and owner. Got to have the right combination of people that can pitch and recruit and I bring got people you. in. My last question about the Miami Heat. You guys beat San Antonio. San Antonio comes back and kicks your ass. And I got to be honest, coach, I was fucking – no, I wasn't here. I was in my old house. And then I watched it right here. My father was in his <laughs> underwear, okay? And I loved it. I loved us. it. My new banged it on him. Somebody knocked him down. And that was the play that ended. Five games. It was done. It's done. They they ran through us. Me and my father watching. It was yeah, he was nuts. He we, was eighty. We, we went crazy. Yeah. Now let me and that's I just I know the pain. It's, it doesn't it's, go away. It's brutal. You've moved on. You've oh. coached. Did that that moment of my joy is your misery. It's the now, worst misery of my life. Okay. Why don't you re up? You beat we beat you. We just kicked your ass in five games easy. Beat the shit out of you. Why don't you re-up? Like, it's like Dwayne, I mean, Dwayne Wade sort of lost a step, but then he didn't lose a step. LeBron's right. a fucking beast. He hasn't lost a step. Chris Bosh, like, I, did, I think it was calling him home, man. I think it was. Cleveland? Yeah, I don't think it was the city. Like, don't look at it as like a resort town. Look at no, it as not like, a resort town. This is where he grew up. These are the people that he look in the face every day. His neighbors, his, you know, his childhood friends. Business owners whose businesses plummeted. Did you, the state of Ohio's revenue plummeted when he left? Their their <laughs> economic situation just from one person leaving, and that weighed on him. And people don't understand that. Like that stuff he carries and cares about. That's and real. That's not. You're not just not like. That, no, that's like a real, real. thing. That's he pays attention. This is a smart guy. This guy knows business. He knows community. So he understood like like what the impact was of him leaving and that stuck with him and you know he had two titles we lost that year was we all pissed at him at first hell yeah we all wanted to keep the ship going you know we wanted to keep the thing rolling and we wanted to get back in San Antonio but you know he's a man and he has to make that decision and that's not an easy decision I I hear you I respect that and and you know I was just happy to see him not only get back there but to get back there and win that title if they don't win any more titles there, you know, that title was worth probably four for them. You yeah. know what I mean? Like that's that and just to have your native son come back and do it and in dramatic fashion. I mean, come on. It was like one of the most excited things you've ever seen. And 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 as a basketball fan, you know, forget my loyalties and who I love and all that stuff. Just as a fan to watch that all take place was just awesome. 
Now, when I bring up that series versus San Antonio, painful, um, painful, and then the year before elation, awesome. Uh, uh, <laughs> how, how deep is your memory? If I said to you, game two, like, are you able to cut? Pretty like, deep, yeah, yeah. It's because they they burn in your head because you watch. You you gotta understand, like when you in the playoffs, you usually only have like a day between, sometimes two. The amount of times you watch that game you just played over and over and over before you watch, before you play that next game, those plays start to burn into your head and how many edits you watch. And then they start accumulating. So you say you're in game five. Well, you're not just watching game four. You're watching, you're going back to game two to see if it's something back in game two that can help you. You're going back to game one to see if it's something defensively you you did against Tim Duncan that might work. You're hunting. Mm. And so these plays end up becoming like, you know, like just burned in your memory. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure some stuff I forgot, but yeah, it's a lot of times I see the guys and we'll be joking like Chris Bosch was. We was in the studio in, uh, in Bristol doing ESPN stuff and he goes, man, you remember that play against the Spurs? And I said, yeah, it was the second quarter. And, and we both just started laughing because it's just, you do, you go through it and you, and you dream it. That's the other thing. Do you like, dream in basketball? Oh, absolutely. So like, we we both said it. Uh, sport. I we laughed um, after we beat the Spurs and the series was over. Um, the next day, I jumped out of bed like in a defensive stance because that is funny. I was trying. I was literally like getting ready to play game eight and get ready for game eight and like I got to prepare and I got to do all this stuff and I was literally watching the game in my head like the series was still going and then I woke up and I'm standing up and my girl she was my girlfriend at the time my future wife looks at me she goes what are you doing you lucky she married you right she thought I was nuts and I yo that's crazy I go babe I gotta get ready I gotta get ready for she goes babe you guys want it and I was like oh my god like literally like I was like Ready to go. And Spo was having the same kind of episodes where it was like, you're literally dreaming, dreaming, dreaming. And then you get up and you're like, all right, we got to do this. And we got to do this against uh, uh, Tony Parker and Manu. We gotta... And then all of a sudden it's like, shit, the series over. That's crazy. <laughs> it's real though, man, because you're so locked in. You know, you so locked in. It's probably like you're getting ready for a character in a movie. And all you do is train your brain mm-hmm. to be this human being that's not you know for a mo- really is it you mm-hmm. you're just in this robotic mode of being becoming something and you can't get out of it you probably think about it all day i love you're that like and so that's wild though that yeah. you physically had a like you physically oh, got it like i'm telling you i guarantee you as basketball guys coaches out there that i hear this that'll say yep i know exactly that feeling especially when you're in the battle battle like is he two-way you know the final four stuff or like a hard fall series against indiana goes six games or something and like you wake up that next day and you think you're still playing that team. I love that. That's crazy. Yeah, that's what the competition does to you, man. And that's the part that I love and I'm missing right now. That's what I'm dying. I'm, I'm dying. That that feeling is the one thing that's been pulled away out of all of the stuff, you know, the camaraderie and the, the relationships. It's the competition that I miss. <laughs> you know, I love it. I love that. Yeah. Okay. When did your basketball playing career stop? And when did you start thinking you were going to be a basketball My coach? My career stopped when I was done with college. Okay, and you played I, I at? Could have played at the, I played at the University of San Diego. I had some opportunities to go play overseas. Um, <laughs> I, I had an opportunity to go play Division II in France, and uh, two of my buddies got sent home from France without their money. And both of these guys 
could score. And that's what the European League look for. They look for guys that I couldn't score. Mm. And so I'm like, am I really about to go over here and get turn around and get sent right back home, you know, from doing this? And that, I tweaked my back right around the same time. I'm sitting here going, oh, man, this doesn't, you know, the vibe wasn't right. And Mike Brown calls me out of the blue, uh, the top assistant for Golden State. The coach. The coach. Mike Brown is, a, is one of my mentors, one of my good friends. He played at the University of San Diego. Was in New York. Was in New York. He, um, this guy probably got a lot of secrets. <laughs> I'm sure he's got a lot of goddamn secrets. I don't even want to talk to him. Brownie's the best. Man. I'm sure he is. I'm so sure he, he got uh, a lot of damn secrets. He uh, he calls me out of the blue. He was a scout in Washington at the time, and he calls me. He said, "Man, I know you 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 not sure about going overseas and all of this." He said, I, "You know, I think you might. You know, if if basketball doesn't work out, maybe you want to think about being a coach." And I, you know, I thought I I aimed low. I was like, "Yeah, one day I'll coach high school," or you know. Typical 21, 22-year-old. I wasn't like locked into like I'm going to be an NBA coach. And he called Spo. He, he and Spo played against each other in college and became friends through that. Spo had a guy bail on him at the last second to be his intern. Guy drove driving from Texas, turned around at the last second and got homesick. And Spo caught, ended up needing a guy. And Spo was what at this time? He's the video coordinator. Which, which, which on is, the pecking order of what is what? He's the the his intern is the shit house, and he's right above that as the video guy. Okay, so, <laughs> so he's I, like, I was in the shit house. So you're even you're 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 cleaning the shit house. You're you're you're, you're dropping off coffees and breaking down as much film as you could possibly imagine. Like, and this is before you could edit stuff on your phone. VCR, baby, deck to deck. And you do not want to be a video coordinator for Pat Riley and Stan Van Gundy with deck to deck. Those guys, we was in there working all night long, boy. And it was, uh, but it ended up working out to be the single most important thing that happened to me in my basketball career. Why? Because that relationship. Of you and Spolstra. Yeah. We ended up bonding. It took us half a day to realize that. Somewhere down the road, we were brothers. Mm. We don't like the same stuff. We don't go do the same things. We don't hang out in the same places. But when it comes to the game and how to approach it and being open-minded and, and willing to, to look at yourself and grow, and we clicked and we challenged each other. And, you know, I was only with him a year. I left to go. He, I had a chance to become his position, and he was going to get moved into a scouting position. And I wanted to coach on the floor. I was like, I'm done with this video crap. These four, these walls are cro closing in on me. I want to coach on the floors. And I got lucky. My college coach brought me back to be an assistant at my at college at San Diego. Okay. And uh, I was the third assistant there. And then I would say a total of 13 years, 12 years later, Spo gets moved into the head coach's spot because Riley steps down. I'm an assistant coach in Atlanta. And the first call Spo makes is he calls me. That's how you found you. He called you directly. He called me as I'm looking at the ticker and seeing his name go along the ticker, saying that he was just named the head coach of the Miami Heat. And my phone's ringing, and we're playing against the Celtics. Uh, the year the Celtics won it, KG and all of them. I was in Atlanta, and we were the first round series against them. And I'm sitting in the locker room, and Spo calls me, and he says, "Man, I really hope y'all beat the Celtics." He said, "But when it's all over." Pack your stuff. You're coming to Miami. And that was it. And we never thought we was going to get the big three. And, you know, but that just going there in 97, I never knew that that relationship was going to turn into this whole thing that's that's really the backbone of my whole deal. That's crazy. Yeah, I owed him a lot. 
And so what is Spolstra like, you know, like as far as like a basketball coach? Like, obviously, I don't want to like, you know, compare him to Larry Brown. But like if you say, you know, like Spolstra is a basketball he's mind. serious, man. He's, he's, he takes it serious. He, he really, he doesn't believe in cheating. He doesn't believe, he, he really believes deep down that there's a basketball guy that if you don't tell the team the exact numbers that's happening. Like, I'll fudge the numbers sometime. And I'll lie to the team and say, hey, man, we're you're shooting this much more. Like, you know, you guys are doing great, especially if we're down. Spo won't. He's got integrity to the end, and that's why I hold him in such high esteem because he is just like, no, there's no shortcut in him. And it comes out in his coaching, and you can see it in his coaching. And here you got the first, you know, Asian-American to ever – coach professional sports to be a head coach in a professional sports or second one or something like that that's unbelievable first filipino to do i mean he goes back to the philippines this guy is 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 a god right i mean he's a rock star right it's like the guy from journey and spo manny, <laughs> journey manny and spo that's funny that's like that like that replacement serious, dude from Jer- dude. that's funny it's real though like right. it's real i went over there twice with him it's real that's it crazy. It's like rocking the bus, rock star stuff, like marching band in the street stuff. Okay. I mean, it's that big and it's so cool to see, man, because, you know, you just, I didn't realize it, but basketball is the number one sport in the Philippines. Okay. They love it. And uh, it was because so many Americans were stationed over there during the war. And so they brought hoop to there, you know? And so Spo is just, but what he is, is um, he's a purist. You know, he's going to keep it real with you. He ain't going to BS you as a player. Um, you know, no one's going to outwork them, outprepare them. I mean, no no one. You're just not. As you, you might match them, but you're not going to outprepare them. It's just I'm sorry. Um, you know, and he's fair. And that's all you can ask for, you know. And, and now you put that together with he's never worked for any other organization. Right. He's only been under greatness his whole tenure. Um, he's only coached great players. Even right. before that, when you go back to Tim Hardaway and Alonzo and Keith Askins and that team, that Dan Marley, those guys right. are beasts. You're right. not talking about chump change there, you know. Um, so now it's just his fabric. It's his DNA. And <clears throat> for me, it was just I've been lucky enough to be around somebody like that a big chunk of my career. Pat Riley. I had Doc Rivers on the podcast. Obviously, he played under Pat. When Pat was nuts in New York, what's the best Pat Riley is crazy? Prove to me that Pat Riley is crazy because Doc told me some story about like he put his head in a bucket of water before a game. That's like a legendary story for sure. That's nuts. Yeah, coaches, coaches do what he's got to do to motivate you. Like he ain't afraid to like coach. Yeah, he that's that's the craziest story I ever heard was the head in the bucket story until you can't breathe this game has to mean so much to you to to your last breath and it comes out basically purple and his hair is everywhere <laughs> right and he flips it back and pat you is like holy shit yeah that's that's but that was pat and and what you saw on the surface was this you know incredibly dressed handsome you know articulate sharp tough all of the things you want in a coach. Like he was like, if you could just look up coach in the dictionary, that's what you want coaches to be is like Pat, Uh you know? But underneath, he is just a savage competitor. He would, I don't know what, he would might hurt a family member, seriously, to, to win. And... You know, he's just, he. that's what I just love being around him was you just knew 
he was with you in that trench and he was like, it was all chips in and we're going after the title and I got your back and let's do it. And even when you're down, I'm going to be here picking you up. And so that was the part for me, like that was just so cool to be around. You okay. know, and he just, you know, I got so many stories of him, man, but he just, he just had a, a way about him that always made you feel like it was going to be all right. Okay. You know what I mean? Like he did, he was that 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 calming presence uh from the standpoint of when things were chaotic, he can kind of see the light through it and say, "Hey, this is how you're going to get through it. Hang in there." You know, and he just knew how to kind of settle everything, but you know, it was days even as you know, when he stepped away as president, he lined us all up on the wall. And you know, as soon as you heard, as soon as coach came to the gym and you heard that whistle cuz he he didn't carry a whistle. He whistled and he lined the whole team up and all the coaches and all the trainers. And if it, if it was something he needed to get off his chest. To, to, the, to everybody. Everybody. The coaches, everybody's getting it. Everybody. We're all in it together. But he doesn't exclude himself. I got you. You know what I'm saying? He's not saying it's me over here and you over there. I got you. you. And you jack offs is this and you screw ups is this. and uh, uh, It's we got to. And y'all in here and uh, uh, But it's like this. To the you know he cuts to the core. He goes in it's to the bone marrow. You know he ain't he ain't dancing around anything and uh, you know. But that was the respect that he had. For, you know that that he got from us and that we all had that for him. That he could do that and he knew it wasn't an everyday thing because it, it was supposed team. But he come to Spo. Hey, Spo, let me put him on the wall today. And Spo say you got him, coach. Because Spo would be days. Spo was tired of him. Yeah, you got him. Take him. I like, <laughs> it's like your kids. We're you gonna put him I mean? on the wall. <laughs> put him on the wall today. And uh, you know, guys from the Heat know any guy in the generations of the Heat, they know when you go to that wall, you about to hear it. <laughs> so, you know, uh, but I was just lucky. He was. He's even today still. Um, you know, probably more than anyone I've talked to since I've been out. Um, as I've been talking to Pat and, and my buddy Chris Grant, who used to be the GM in Cleveland, was my college teammate. But Pat has been, you know, my sounding board. I got you. You know, on everything. I got you. So he's, you know, I hold him. He's, you know, he's the Godfather. He's everything that everything <laughs> that people say. Yeah, especially when you with him. Right now, if you outside the walls, you probably hate him. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. But I, there's nothing like being a part of of under his umbrella. Um, I'm sure it's probably a lot of what San Antonio guys feel about being with Pop. I got that, you. Or, or Larry's guys feel about being with him. You know, it's a, it's just a, a real, um, it's a secure feeling knowing that you're a part of something with that kind of person at the helm. If I say to you, five times in your career as a professional coach, assistant, or even head, when you're when you're 90, you got grandkids. Mm-hmm. The most impressive things that you saw from opposing teams, for not LeBron, not D-Wade, that you were coaching against where you were like, almost like you become a fan, like even whether it's AI going nuts yeah. or Kobe or Tracy McGrady. I mean, the thing that I love about your span yeah. in the NBA, you were, you had it. I've seen them all, baby. i say some good stuff. So when I say like, you just remember going, oh shit. Yeah. Like, I know you don't necessarily want to go back to like those guys, but like, I could tell I, you. I want them all. I don't care where you start. I remember stuff like I remember D Wade being a rookie, right? And I was in Golden State, so this is he was on the other team, okay? And and you're on Golden State. I'm, and what I'm, team? I'm what year is this? Assistant coach at Golden State. This was a uh, 2002 or three or something like that. And we have uh, Calbert Cheney, Nick Van Exel, 
Cliff Robinson, uh, Jason Richardson, Mike Dunleavy, Speedy Claxton. We had a good team. Eric Dampier was our center. And D-Way was a rookie. And uh, Muss, our head coach, Eric Musselman, who's at the uh, University of Nevada, Reno now, uh, one of my guys, he's yelling at Calvert Chaney, back off of him. He can't shoot. He can't shoot. It was like the playground. And <laughs> I remember Keith Smart said, Must, you better stop saying that to that kid. You better stop saying that. It's going to come back and bite us. That game passes. They struggle. We win the game. We go to Miami later that year, and he says the same thing to D-Wade. And the kid ended up, this is rookie year, and couldn't shoot at the time. He runs off six straight threes on us. And Smarty, I'll never forget, Keith Smart looked back at me and said, get ready. He's going to be one of the greatest players to ever play. And I'm thinking then, D-Wade, fifth pick, I see a a big-time athlete, whatever. I didn't see what he saw. And from that moment on, I started paying attention, and it was like, you know, like just an explosion. I remember first time, like, where I saw Kobe in person where I was coaching against him. What was that like? It wasn't fair because you couldn't get to him. He can get to any spot on the floor and elevate, and it was it was you felt helpless. You couldn't run a double team at him. He never missed. If it was on the line, you knew deep down that there's a chance you was getting your heart ripped out. And I just remember like we were trying to figure out what to do against him, and it was like we came up. <laughs> it got to a point we ran out of suggestions because. It was just nothing we can do to stop him. We didn't have the people to stop him. We didn't have the system that could possibly stop him. And it was just, but I remember seeing it going, oh, my goodness. This is what it looks like in person, huh? This is what this kind of guy looks like. And then, you know, when I was a kid, I got to sneak into the forum and watch Magic, Kareem, Worthy. You know, hell, you was here for a year. You remember those teams when you was living out here. You know, I got to see that up close. I got to see, you know, like, Dr. J come through there. I got to see all of those players. Like, So I've just been around. I've got to see so many great players up close and personal in so many different types of ways. You know, I got to see Paul Pierce when he was a kid. Tell me about that. I walked into my high school gym coming back from college, and Paul was like a ninth grader. And, you know, you're coming back from college to your high school. You think you're the dude. You're about to run the gym. You be yeah. Best player in the gym, ninth grader. And I'm like, who is that? I'm like, who is this dude? Is he like a senior? They like, no, he's going to the 10th grade next year. That's Paul Pierce. You saw that with your own f- I couldn't believe what I saw. He what what six, were you seeing? He was 6'6. Six, six. He was a point guard. He had touch. He had handle. He had he was so smooth and it was so easy. In my neighborhood in LA, I had never seen a player like that. And we seen a lot. Like I told you, Chris Mills, Sean Higgins. Higgins. All these guys was during that Cedric Sabalas, a lot of guys. Reggie out of Miller LA, at UCLA and then Cheryl used to come up to our park. Um, you know, and you those games Cooper at UCLA over there with Yeah, I mean I seen but out of all the kids growing up in LA, I had never seen nothing like that one. And he just stood out like he was just a man amongst boys. And I just remember walking into the gym going, Who in the hell is that? And have I been gone that long? And they said, man, that's Paul Pierce. <laughs> it's like, and now look, his jersey is hanging in Boston Garden. We were bowling like a couple of weeks ago at this event during All-Star. 
And I said, man, can you believe your jersey is... He said, man, I said, what's more important to you, the Hall of Fame or that? He said, sometimes I don't know. Because oh. the idea of your jersey in Boston Garden is like with all of those greats, he understands the history of that. You know, that's a select group of people right there, you know. and uh, But I saw him. I remember, you know, I played against Jason Kidd in the state championship. In high was, school. Yeah, and it was like I was playing like a, I felt like I was like my age and he was like 28. He and was you're so, good. You're not like I a, was a division one basketball player. We had our whole team. We had like seven of them on our team. He was just that good. Like he was ridiculously fast. He was the best passer I had seen at that age. Well, it was a, it was a push during that time because Jacques Vaughn was a beast during that time uh, coming out of high school. But Jason was one of the greatest passers I'd ever seen. And people don't realize it. Jake Kidd used to have bounce. Mm-hmm. He used to get up and dunk on people and. Well, I just remember seeing them, and uh, our our high schools was rivals. Like, we beat them during that year, earlier that year in a tournament. Like, we were, it was like both of us were fighting for number one in the state. And I just remember our team just going, man, we didn't even know they made light-skinned guys like this. <laughs> like, this, where did they find this dude? they like, Fizz, you don't have any of this. Like, how can you be the light-skinned dude on the neighborhood team and you have none of this? Like, oh, like this dude can jump, that he can funny. shoot. He's six five. And he was strong he's, he's too. Like, right? They're like, you're you're five eleven. You're weak. You're skinny. You slow. That they, is they're funny. Like, All you got was you just got your dad smarts. You got your white side smarts. That's, That's what they used to funny. tell. Funny. And then we're playing against this guy. And they're like, man, we never seen nothing like this. Like everybody in our neighborhood respected Jay because he was he he didn't back down. Like he went at us, but he was just he was a beast. Now you coach. You were at Atlanta. You coached, you know, with Miami. But who are the players that you 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 coached against that talked the most shit? Because because this oh. is the Iron Rapport Stereo Podcast. I'm the MVP of talking trash. Yeah. Who are the players where you just want to be like shut? Well, I just named one of them, Paul, Paul Pierce. Was he as when He's he started? Brutal. He was always talk. What was his talk? Was trash talk? It's style? brutal. Just telling you. I mean, I can't. I don't want to say half of the words he would say, but he called you the B word, punk ass. You know, he never missed clutch shots. You know, he let you know he was the truth. That whole team, to be honest with you, that whole Boston team, for the most part, was letting you know every play. Sheed was one of the great talkers that I've ever. He's one of the best. (laughs) Chris Paul is one of the great talkers in our game. He talks, and he's talking shit to everybody, talking to the refs. And he works the room. I hate him for it because he's like, Fizz, Fizz, you know that wasn't no foul ref. Look, you know, this is why that wasn't a foul. And this, da, da, da. and then I can't even yell at the ref anymore because he stepped in and kind of took away my conversation from him. And now he's, hey, hey, and why y'all got this rookie on me? Come on, man. Y'all should know better than that. Like he's had this full conversation and the team is shooting free throws. So he's talked shit to me, my team, the refs. And then he goes down and he does something to kill you. And you're just like, oh, I hate this dude. Like, <laughs> But, you know, it's just he's, a, he's one of those guys. He lets you know. I'm thinking, who else is one of those? Kevin Garnett never stopped talking. He's talking himself. He's talking his team. With, I, with- I think Kevin's, like, multiple personalities was talking shit to each other internally. They're, they're, ha- they're talking, like, he, he's having, there's three other, there's a conversation. <laughs> KG was having internal spats, but he just, but that's what fueled him, boy. That's what made him great. He was letting you know while he was kicking your butt all day long. You know, I think Russell might got a little, some talk in him, you know, but he don't do a lot. But if you get him going, 
he's gonna let you know about it. Steph talk too. Ste- what? You Give it to me. It. Steph be out there letting you hear it all the time. You know that, especially if you like, if you think for any chance, like you got a chance to beat them. He'll he'll let you know you have zero chance. Like basically, all right, fellas, let's stop messing around now. Like to hear a grown man say that about your team, all grown men, y'all right. been messing around with us. Like, oh, like the, I'm like, come on, we gotta get these dudes. He know? talks. Yeah, you can see it on the court. You watch those guys. But he's close. more, he's not like it's not like in your face. No, it's not. And it's none of none of these guys are like over the top. You know, Draymond's a little nutty with it. Right. Like he'll get in your face some, but like not a it's not a lot of that anymore of where it's just straight in your face, right. like letting you know. Is the art of trash talking done because of Instagram and like you you can't do it because whatever you say, <laughs> you know, like you'll get fined or you know, they could read your lips like I think ah, it's a me- whole bunch of factors to it that's just I think as kids don't play on the playground as much anymore. You know, where you could actually talk more and it wasn't no such thing as a technical foul. You might get punched in the mouth. Right. But there was no tech. And us growing up, that's all we did was play on the playground and that's a punk call and you ain't getting that call and you soft and you this. And, you know, so it was always a constant talking match on the playground. Mm -hmm. As soon as you start officiating those games and AAU comes into it and everything's structured and organized, it's like... You know, and you get technicals for that stuff. And right. then you start moving up further and you're getting fines for right, that right. stuff. And so I think it's been kind of, you know, taken out of us a little bit by yeah. the way it's, the rules have been structured. But I also think that, like you said, it's like this generation at least is not, a, I wouldn't call them a generation of communicators. I got you. Of people that do a lot of face to face communication. I got uh, you. They would much rather text you. And say what they gotta say got over you. a text, and not actually have to interact and deal with the the backside of the conversation. I got you. You know what I mean. And I'm, I've noticed that just as a coach, the shift since you know all of the technology has come in, it's just this, these guys would much rather they don't get in as much confrontation. And um, do you think it's because they all grew, like they, they all grew up together? Like the majority yeah, of them, they've all played hoop together. Thirteen, their whole fourteen, life. like especially like, the main ones. I mean, you know, back in the day, those guys they did, they just heard about you in the paper. And you met on the court. You <laughs> got busy, yeah. and and it was just it was less penalty for going at it, right? You know what I mean? Like if you got into a fight and you got clipped a couple times, the fine wasn't as tough. The right. suspension wasn't as tough. Right. I mean, I remember all it was fights all the time when we were growing up. Right. I'm talking about fists being thrown. Right. And, you know, now guys don't do it. And, you know, I don't want to promote fighting. No, no, but, no. Because I, I don't like the fighting but either. But listen, but I, but I will say this. Those guys were being fined according to what they were making there. I said this on TV the other day. These guys are being fined according to what they make now. Mm. So it's not like it's, it just looks like the number is just much bigger, but the fine ratio is close to being the same. Right. It's just, do you really want to go there? Right. Are you built like that? Right. You know, have you ever even been in a fight? Who who in the (laughs) league now is on that list? This is the guys that give me the impression. Udonis? to me, is like a throwback goon, and I got the pleasure of meeting him, and and, and I was shocked. He's 6'8". He's a big boy. But he's big guy, but like he plays like he's like you would oh, think of Don is seven feet. But he's six nine at the most. I feel like he's six eight. Goon. What? David West, goon. Who's on the list? Who's on you the met, list like you know? But don't you want- notice the two guys you just named. Both at the end of their careers. Both older. Right. Both started in a whole different generation. Right. 
right? And Udonis like, is like 50, right? Udonis has was like 51, 52. I'm going to check his birth certificate. How we old gonna, is we're going to figure it out. But he, well, he, he doesn't age at all. The well, guy's still he's, running, jumping, dunking. He's still doing all of the stuff. Anytime they throw him in a game, he gets a double-double. It's like... <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like He's like 50, 50. He's like older than you, right? But he's ready to go when... The, listen, if it's I, on... You He's want him you, on your side. You That's want him on your team. Yes, yes. You okay, David West. Who who are the other people on the list? <sighs> I'm thinking about the league today, and as I go through the teams, it's very difficult to find. But Zach Zebo is. They you don't even want to go there with Zebo. Like Zebo is one of those guys that that uh, he'll laugh with you, clown bump you, know, and then if you want to go there. That's gonna be one of the deals you didn't want to go. That's a road you didn't want to travel down. He's a tough guy. Yes, and he's and those tough guys that you just named will say he's a tough guy, and that's how you know. You ask the tough guys about who's the tough guy. I got and you. And those guys will say that guy, this guy. But you know, it's some young guys coming around. You know, this kid Bobby Portis is a tough kid out in Chicago. He's a scrapper. He proved I think his. He got proved his. He, he got into the fight with putting the kid. that work. You know, um, Trevor Ariza. Quietly is a scrapper. Okay, you know he grew up here in L.A. He grew up rough. Uh, he's got he he grew up in a different generation. Right. though. it's like he was on the yeah he's on the cusp. Yeah, he's a little you know older. what I mean. Like, but out of the young guys right now, you know Patrick Beverly got some yeah. going in him. That's that's I my man. Mama, anytime you get a kid from Chicago, you're probably gonna have a little bit of that in him. Like that's one thing about Chicago kids. Like Tony Allen, Quentin Richardson, D. Wade, Patrick Beverly. Those dudes will fight you. Like, they will look for a reason to get into a fight with you. Like, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't understand. Like, Patrick Beverly, as far as I'm concerned, like, if I'm going against Lonzo Ball, I'm just like, I'm doing, like, Patrick Beverly's like a nightmare. Like, he's that gonna, first game. He's he, going to make you miserable. And he's going to, but one thing he understands is his, that's part of his talent. Right. Is the goon. You know, that is, he may not be able to out dribble you or outrun you or out shoot right. you. But he can outgoon you, right. and he knows if he gets to you, he you're done. That talent don't mean anything, right? And, and and he, but that's how he grew up. I'm telling you, those Chicago kids are different. But Juwan Howard, the most clean cut, nicest dude. I never seen him without a tight fade. I never seen his tie not tied right. Most professional human being you ever. Lance Stevenson said LeBron was choking. Jawan Howard walked over to their bench pregame the next game, looking for him, trying to chase him down, looked for him in the locker room, everything. Like, they wired different in Chicago. Jawan is, and he's yeah, old school. Jawan's yeah. like 75 years old, too, yeah, right? He could still play if he wanted to, but I think they got an age. They got a certain number of years you can't like, play no it's more. Silver, man. They're like, dude, you can't play any more basketball in the NBA. Like, you've reached a. It's done. Because <laughs> yeah, he, he's one of the first dudes with the tat. Like, he came with the tat when he's with the Five Five. Like, he had the tat, like, he, his yeah, cousin did tat. it. Yeah. All right, my last question. Here we are in March. Based, and are you allowed to answer this? If not, tell me. Based on everything we know. Yeah. What's your prediction? Who's winning the NBA championship and why? Where, who's it, who's it, what are going to be the final four teams? The e, the two in the East, two in the West, and then what do you got for me? Barring injury, and I don't want anyone to get injured. Golden State, Houston. That's the, that's the easy call. I think the East is the tougher call. I do think Cleveland's going to eventually get in there um, into that final four. The question is, will it be Boston or Toronto? And that's where I, I know you say barring injury, but that's where I think if if either one of those teams are tweaked at all, that's the difference in one of those teams getting into that four. Now, unless if Houston gets home court, Houston can beat Golden State. 
If they don't get home court, I don't think they can beat them. That's where I think Houston can get out of the West. In the East, I think that both of those other teams, Boston or Toronto, have to play out of their mind to beat Cleveland in a seven-game series. I, I agree. Just, I just think they have to play perfect basketball to come out of that. To to beat him four times is tough. That's tough, even when you have home court. I don't care a, what you have. He's going to come take one game on your court just because that's who he is. And now it's like, okay, to see the series is evened up, who's going to win more games? I just don't know if those teams can do it. Even though we've seen Cleveland go through this roller coaster, I just feel like in a seven-game series, man, I don't – it's hard. Well, he's, look, he's been in the finals how many years in a row? 17, 18, right? 19, Right, so I it's know. like, come on. Like, it's no one's done it yet. It's like Brady. Off. It's like, you, you, <laughs> you, you know, until proven like, differently, just, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just going, going with that. Yeah. yeah, I'm just going to go with it. Because as much as I like the Raptors and they're coming and DeMar and those guys, yeah. I just don't see it happening. And, like, privately favorite coach in the league is Dwayne Casey. I just love his passion for the game. I just love how he's built that team. They play like he acts. You know what I'm saying? Like, you could tell that team, that team exemplifies their coach. And I just, I love his story. I love what he's had to go through. He's went up, down. He's been, you know, kicked out. And then he became a champion. And then he's he's really made the most of his opportunity. And so I root for him, mm-hmm. but I don't know. Like, I'm like you. It's like, till proven different. I, I, I go with Cleveland. <sighs> as much as I can't stand it, oh, man. I'm going with and Cleveland. I, and, and, you know, I love my guy. And no, I, I got you. And, but I don't even, it doesn't matter You're as not much. as emotionally involved like a yeah, fan. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't, it's not going to matter to me as much. Like, even like, you know, uh. Like, I root for Brad Stevens. Like, I think Brad Stevens is a, is a uh, out-of-the-box, like, innovative. He's you think he dreams guy. basketball? Oh, I think sure. he wakes up in three-man weeks. I weaves. guarantee you, if you ever got a chance to ask him if he dreams basketball, he would say absolutely. He's doing, like, he's doing layup lines by himself. Yeah, like, like, he's, like, <laughs> clapping. Like, like he's, like, full-on, like, you know, doing Hubie Brown, like, full-court press. His wife's, like... My man, like you, you can't. You waking, you scaring people. <laughs> like get, get to bed. Yeah, right. <laughs> he's doing suicide drills and shit. He's like in the kitchen. He's like, the best too. I got a chance to spend time with him this summer, uh, and just the most humble, normal guy that you've ever been around. But what's floating around in that dome is pure genius. Who's rookie of the year? Donovan Mitchell's my guy. He's from New York. Oh, Obviously, Ben Simmons is a red shirt. He's sick. Is there a shot that my guy? He does have a shot. And does he re- remind you of D-Wade? Yes, he reminds me of D-Wade, but he shoots better at this age. He's a little shorter. Um, if he can develop a, a, a post game, that will be the difference. in Because ter- D-Wade is the best, you know, I would say 6'4 and under. He say 6'5, but 6'4 and under guy in the post that this league has probably ever seen. Mm. Um, back to the basket, Back to the basket. Face up right in that little tight Carl Malone area, right off the block on the post. You're just not going to have many guys that you can pull out of the history books at that size that you could tell me that was a better post-up player uh, than him. And that's going to be if Ken Donovan developed that because he's got all of that other stuff, the burst, the explosion, he'll dunk on you. The Euro step, like he's he's got got all of that. Like he is so fun to watch. But I think what's going to be the difference in the voting is can they get in the playoffs? Utah. Yeah. It's tough. Can they creep in that playoff? Cause that, but it's jumbled up, man. That that whole, I mean, from from four down in the West is scary jumbled up. Mm-hmm. And so, it's you know, it's just a matter of luck and injuries and, you know, getting the right breaks and strength of schedule and all of that kind of stuff. But then, 
You know, you got Ben Simmons who he's sick. I just like watching the kid play. And homeboy's tall. He's he's big like LeBron. Is he's like six ten? Right. Oh yeah, he's a big boy. I mean, we had we played him in the preseason, and in my interview, I said that's special when you you could just see it. Like it doesn't take long to see a guy move to go. That's a special movement. Like he's so fluid and natural at it, and like left and right hand, and he's throwing these passes and. How old is he? Twenty. <laughs> yeah, I mean, ba- it's with something like that. He's a, he's a baby, man. Like, and and I, so, but I think Philly's gonna get in that playoff, right? And I think that's what's gonna be the difference. But look, you're talking about splitting hairs, man. Those are two beasts. Now, I said it was gonna be my final question. When you say someone like Donovan, who who is a hard worker, whether or not he can learn post moves or develop post moves, when you're a pro basketball player with the skill of a Donovan Mitchell or one of these young, you know, brewing rookies, is it a matter of putting the time in to learn it? Or or, or can anybody learn post moves? Not anybody to a high level. Um, some people just have better feel than others. But it's something Spo used to always say to me that he noticed, like when I would work out with, with D-Wade or LeBron or Chris, um, is that greatness picks up things quickly and can apply it. And that's the difference between when you see a guy where you go, man, why can't this guy get it? He can't apply it. Great players can, like D-Wade would do stuff like this. We work on something and shoot around that day. Right after shoot around, we do something in the post. Maybe like eight to ten times. He'd do it in the game that night and do it perfectly. The like LeBron. you said, drop step or something? i tell you a great story. One day we were messing around on one end of the floor, and uh, me, D-Wade, and LeBron, and LeBron just said, man, I want to start working on my running hook. It's Magic Johnson. So we started doing it. Knee up. You know, Pat came into it because, you know, Pat coached all those guys. Yeah, you got to get your knee up and you got to bring it over here. And So LeBron just starts doing it. You know, probably shoots, I would say he probably shot about 10 to 15 of them. He made three that night in the game. And, no, that's what I'm saying. Like, average players don't do that. Just the good players don't do that. They got to work on it, like, over and over and over. But the great ones can visualize it. They're, it immediately, the synapse happens. As soon as they do it a couple times, they've built that synapse, and it's like, I got it. I right, got you. I got you. And it's, it's like they, they just they can advance it and apply it so fast. Um, it really separate. You could see the difference. Like I got Ray you. Allen was like that as a shooter. It was just like he would do drills, and he w- it would make some of our guys look like they never, ever shot a basketball. because. And then he would do it, and it was just he did it, and it was nothing. But that's the difference between a great shooter who's put himself through all kind of stuff and good shooters. I got you. <laughs> you know, um, but it was I, that's the good part about being around great players. You got to see that kind of stuff. I love it. All right, coach. Listen, <laughs> you came. You didn't rook me. Okay, you came with the championship pedigree. David Fisdale, the coach. Uh, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it, man. This is awesome, man. You kidding me? I, I'm I such a this. big fan. I love. Can this. I ask you a question before we go? go ahead. Do you have a number of movies that you've acted in? Because I was going through your catalog, just so you know. I did my, I, I collect data. Okay, okay right. Okay, so I was you, checking out I'm your I'm not career. a number guy. <laughs> not a numbers guy, but I was just checking out how many projects you've been a part of, bro. You know, like, a bunch. A oh bunch of bunch God. of movies, bunch of bunch of TV shows, and you know some are good, some are not good. And one thing I've learned because you know it was from from being the sideline reporter of the Big Three, and I, you always hear in different sports in all the sports culture of winning, culture yeah. of winning. When you when you're on a set, whether it's a show or a movie, that culture of winning 
and that culture. Mm-hmm. I understand it now. Uh, I, I think it was Chauncey who explained it to me. It's not culture of winning. In sports, you say that. It's just a culture of like everybody's here for the same purpose. Yes. Yes. And you could everybody could be here for the same purpose, and you still might not win. But at least you feel a lot better going home at night, knowing exactly. that you wasn't fighting against yourself exactly. in that situation. Exactly, that's, that's what culture is. It's yeah. like everybody's gonna pull their weight in this deal and respect each other the right way, and we're gonna get this thing done in a way. And if we fall short, it's not gonna be because we weren't all in. Exactly. Right. So <laughs> it's the same thing with movies. So I, I've done a bunch of stuff. I still love it, um, and I get off on it. Uh, you know, but it's like, I'm sure the business of basketball is probably the, you know, you love the basketball, the business of basketball, the business of like, I love yep. action and cut in between action and cut. That's the magic. All the other, I don't need any of it. You know what I mean? You're like, ah, this is, this is, you know, it's because it should be called business show. Hey, that's why I'm unemployed. Right. For the time being. All right, coach. I appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having me, my man. What to do? All right, what can I say? I told you it was going to be good. I told you it was going to be good. See, I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast, we do what we do. Have no fear. The I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast is here. Coach Fizdale, thank you so much for rocking with me. I appreciate it. I put him on the spot. You heard me, G. I said, yo, you will you promise to come back for part two and part three? Yeah, he's with it. Because I could just talk to this guy about basketball for hours. Listen. I am Rapport Stereo Podcast. We came, we saw, we conquered. All right. Pardon my takeover. G Monetti, <laughs> Michael Rappaport, the bad boys of podcasting, yep. the Bill Lambeer of podcasting, the Aaron Pryor of podcasting, Miles Jordan, the Dust Brothers. Take us out of here with something real funky. Coach Fizz, thank you for rocking with us. Yes. Yo, we'll see you when we see you. We out. Peace. What to do?